This episode of All Things Business, the podcast, is brought to you by our digital media partner, DFA Law. DFA Law, providers of expert and dedicated legal advice to businesses and families since 1838. DFA Law, the law firm for life. Fraser. Ben. You right? Very well, very well. On the road again. Yeah, sort your collar out, mate. I've done the top button. No, yeah, I know that. You were going to take Simon's eye out for that. <laughs> Simon, welcome. Thank you very much. Thank you well, for we having should, me. Well, we, we're here um, in the, what was the Terrace Bar? Mm. Terrace Bar at Stadium MK. <clears throat> home of the MK Dons with um, Performance and Operations Director Simon Crampton. Thank you for joining us. Um, we were saying before, well, it looks like a little media room, doesn't it? Mm. It's like we're... Um, on Sky Sports, doing the proper interview. So um, for those that aren't aware of you, Simon, um, Ben, he came up with something curly that I won't ruin it. I'll let him. He's, um, well, I, I said you're like the Dean Lewington of MK Don's non-playing staff. Would that be fair? Well, I've been here, uh, been here a long, not quite as long as Dean, but nearly as long. So yeah, I mean, there's, there is a few other staff who've been here equally as long and a couple that have been here even a little bit longer. But yeah, I've... It's my 18th season, so yeah, I've been here a while. Brilliant. And take us back to where it started from from you going back almost as a schoolboy. Did you know that you always wanted to have a career in football or? Yeah, uh, well, if I go back to as a schoolboy, I wanted to be a farmer. Okay. Cool. And um, one day, you know, I was looking at college courses and stuff as I got a bit older and my dad said, son, we've not got a farm. So that sort of put end to that. Um, is that I've got to ask? Is that because you've got other family that are farmers, or no? This, this is, no, this is like, this is going back really young. But I like the outdoors and I like working outside. I love nature, and that sort of farming thing became. I did a A level environmental science, and that farming thing then probably became more looking into the outdoors, ecology, that sort of yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I was also doing PE. I was also doing biology, uh, and I loved two things. I loved I loved anatomy. So doing sort of GCSE, A-level P, I really love the anatomy side of it, learning everything about the body. Um, and then I also, for some reason, really love sort of first aid. And I wasn't in the St. John's Ambulance or anything like that, but I was in the Scouts. And I think that passion probably went back to uh, being in Cubs. And I did the first aid badge. And you had to bring in a first aid kit. Uh, so most people came in with a lunch box with a few plasters in. But my dad went out and bought me this real bright blue, shiny first aid box from a from Boots, and I was really proud of it. And then when anyone in the house, what, Cubs, I'd have been 10, 11, yeah. when anyone in the house got a cut or anything like that, it was me that had to go and treat it. Okay. So I think that's probably my earliest sort of insight into the sort of the, the physiotherapy profession I came into was, was that. And then, yeah, I did my A-levels and, uh, you know, looked at different career options and really liked the idea of being, a, you know, a physiotherapist, but in sports. And yep. Actually, you said football, but rugby was my sport. I was really- Legal really, union. Both. I predominantly played rugby league at school, uh, and then uh, you know, you know, it's like when you're young. I played rugby union on a Wednesday with a college uh, rugby union, sometimes with the local team on a Saturday, and then my my own age group on a Sunday. I played rugby league, but rugby league was the one I was probably more into. Um, yeah, and then so yeah, then found out about you know the different options and courses, and I was going to do physio, but then I found about this new course called sports therapy, which at the time was in its infancy. I think the university course had only just started. I think it was a year above us. Um, and I got into that university course in London. Um, so left the uh, the bright lights of Blackpool and uh, moved to London uh, and did a, did a sports therapy degree. Uh, following that, then I, I sort of worked in the NHS private sector. 
Uh, I was also working for London Wasps part-time and Queen's Park Rangers part-time, um, which then really sort of fueled my, you know, my ambition, I guess, to work in, in, in football or in rugby. Um, I suppose when my stumbling block came a little bit was that when I sort of graduated um, in sport, the chartered physiotherapy title became sort of the, the title you needed to work in, in professional sports. Uh, and as a sports therapist, you don't have that. Although we were sold the dream, you know, when we went to do the course that by the time you graduate, you'd be registered with the Health and Care Professions Council. And so you would sort of have that similar chartered status. That never happened and it still hasn't to this day. Um, so I decided to go back to university and I did a master's degree in physiotherapy, which was full-time, worked in the NHS, worked in sort of hospital settings. Um, and then I was, you know, weighing up my odds that there was an opportunity to potentially go uh, at London Wasps and do more work there. And then I got a phone call from a friend, Damien Doyle, who was working here as the fitness coach, who I was actually at uni with for my, my undergraduate degree, and said, there's a job at Milton Keynes Dons. So... You know, I looked into it, said, okay, yeah, no, I'm interested. So I came down for an interview on the Thursday, um, met quite a few people at the club, met the chairman. Martin Allen was the manager. You know, oh, that's going back. That was an experience, let me tell you. <laughs> top, top man Martin is. Um, <clears throat> and then on the way home, I got a phone call saying, the job's yours, we'd love you to be on board, but you need to start on the, on the Monday. So that was my sort of first thing into the fast and that was stage Thursday, of football. That straight. was Thursday, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. So look, luckily, I just finished my master's degree, so I wasn't in full time, full time work. I'd got you know part time, as I said. Um, so it was an easy fix for me. So I pat and bag, and the rest is history. There you are. There you are. How was? I mean, in eighteen years, if you, I mean, not you, eighteen years is some stint in any job, let alone in football. But in yeah. football, it's there, there won't be many people, I think, at any club that's done eighteen years. Yeah. How was you? I know obviously your career has progressed now to um, performance and operations director, but just talk us through the, the stages of that because you, you obviously came in as head of physio and then you did a, uh, they introduced sports science. Yeah, so the, so the first role was um, academy physiotherapist. So I was like the head academy physiotherapist. Um, and, you know, I, I arrived uh, on the Monday morning and uh, we were at Woofton on the green. There was the facilities that we have at the stadium weren't here then. And Martin had everyone operating out the training ground. So I remember saying to the kit man at the time, you know, where, where's the medical room? And he took me to a dressing room and it was a, uh, it was, you know, a, a Woofton on the green dressing room. We'll leave that to the imagination. Um, <laughs> not as nice as they are now. And that's saying something. Um, and in that room, there was a, an old wooden sort of treatment bed, very rickety thing and two boxes, which were full of, old, you know, odds and sods of tape and mm. gone out of date medications and that sort of stuff. And I was like, oh, what have I done here? Um, so that was my first role. And then, you know, the, within that time, we started to sort of essentially set up a department for the academy. Uh, we brought in two physios who would then stopped running the academy. And I moved into the first team with, with Martin Allen and then into the second season with Paul Ince. Um, one moved into the football, I was sort of, uh, the, the first team, sorry, I was... Uh, uh, head physiotherapist then and then following that year around about when Robbie DiMatteo came in and we'd got more staff it became head of sports medicine which I did then for around about nine years eight nine years and then we had a small restructure again when we sort of incorporated sports science just to sort of improve the continuity I guess in what we were doing and then that was head of sports science and medicine um, which I did for a further around about three years and then now into the role of performance operations director. And if we go back, and this isn't aimed at MK Dons at all, but it's more more generalisation, do you think there was almost like 18, 20 years ago, there was an underappreciation for 
recovery and sports science and physiotherapy? Uh, loaded question. We did a we did a podcast with with Razor, with Razor Neil Rudder, yeah. and he yeah. was at Liverpool when he joined Liverpool. 1993. They didn't have a physiotherapist. Now that's only ten years before you would have yeah, joined yeah, here. Yeah. yeah. So do, do you think would, would that be a fair comment that maybe yeah, football as oh, yeah. a yeah as a community perhaps didn't yeah. have the appreciation, whereas now yeah we've got 100 percent, and I'm 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 actually back at university now, and this is something I'm looking at is in, in some of the work I'm doing now is looking at the sort of the development on how and how far we've developed. You know, we're really in yeah. sort of a golden age of sports science and sports medicine. And yeah, when I first came in, I remember playing saying to me, are you chartered? And I'm like, well, yeah, I'm a physio, of course I'm chartered. And that was for a long period prior prior to that. You used to have the sponge men who were often ex-players and not, not always were qualified. And they were sort of delivering the, you know, sports medicine essentially to, the, to, to still million dollar players, you know, at that time. And yeah, and it, it's, you know, just the advances we've seen in the sort of, in my career, you know, from... Well, we got GPS in, in here at MK Dons about 2009, and that was revolutionary. And, you know, we, we've seen so many different things come in since then. And just on that, just just give us an example of so GPS. Just talk us through what what that is. That's that's the yeah. So it. it's yes, yeah, so they wear it on the back. It's a, a device that again, then the science and the body of work that's gone into that has just got better and better as time has gone on. But essentially, when we first had it in, we were just looking at how far a player is has covered in a game in, yeah. in kilometers. But now the metrics are, you know, such more advanced than that. We know we look at accelerations, decelerations, uh, how much high-speed running they've done in a game. Uh, and ultimately what we're doing is we're comparing games to games and, and we build up a database of what we call the acute chronic workload ratio where we're looking at what their chronic workload is. So their workload over four weeks versus their workload in this given week. And the aim of that is that we're not, we're not trying to Overcook or undercook the athletes. So that could that be uh, almost a preventative measure against exactly. injury? Exactly that, yeah. Mm, yeah. Which is very topical given given the amount of games that, that players are playing now. It's a stress on their body, and it's making sure that it's that they're being looked after and coached. And do you report that on a one to one basis, or do you, do you discuss that as a team collectively so that so the, the lads can actually yeah. see? Yeah. So a bit about we've got a you know fantastic staff downstairs. Um, that's underneath us where we are at the moment in the basement where all, the, all our facilities are. And we've got, um, you know, uh, Tom Bromley, who's our head of strength and conditioning. And he's, you know, really, really well-versed in GPS, the metrics and how we use the metrics. So he'll produce all sorts of uh, documents and data and stats just to show us exactly where our players are at any one time. We can, we can do it in a game. So if there's a player coming back from injury or there's a player we're concerned about, we could potentially... Um, you know, look at on the iPad, check his metrics, see where he's at, really? advise the manager that he's... You know, we, we sometimes may have a predetermined load that we want him to get to. Yeah. And then, you know, we might start suggesting that he comes off. I mean, that you know, that's sort of Tom's role on a match day. But it's competitive sports. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it's just a bit more, another bit of information the manager can can receive and, and, and can act on it if he feels it, it necessary. And in terms, is that data, um, say, I'm just thinking of a, as a recruitment tool as well. If you were going to say the gaffer wanted to go and buy a player, would you? Could you ask for that access to that data of of the? Would that be usual or would that be unusual? Yeah, so I think you know you'd, it'd be something when you're well down the line with that yeah. recruitment process. But part of your medical process would be to find out, you know, what they've been doing, what they normally do, what's normal for them, because obviously we want a smooth transition when they, when they come in the team. And if it's a player who's been 
loading really highly in his in his previous training regime and he comes into our system and we may you know load lower than that then we need to make sure that the appropriate adjustments are made that we don't just suddenly stop stop because that could put him at risk of injury as well yeah and in terms of like getting more out of players which business people always want to get more out of the team as well do you is it a case of part of your role in your teams to almost improve players metrics say for example year on year or from the, from pre-season and saying right well this is what they've done now but actually I think this type of player or the, this type of position that they're playing in they should actually be able to hit this and then do you, do you have targets like that or, or does it not really work like that? Yeah we do yeah I mean so certainly in pre-season for example when new players come in there'll be a, a battery of testing that the sports science and sports medicine um, staff put, put the players through um, so that may provide targets that we're working towards We've also obviously got the GPS data then that we may be trying to improve, you know, something on often maybe on a, you know, a fitness point of view from an endurance, on the endurance side of things. Um, but ultimately it's all, it's context driven. So the metrics that a player might produce under one manager are going to be different under the, the next manager. Yeah, yeah. Counter pressing or yeah, if it's, yeah, exactly okay, that. yeah. So it all, all depends on the context and the position of the player and, you know, and, in an ideal world, which isn't always possible in football because of, you know, we know there's a high turnover, but in an ideal world, you build a lot, you know, you build up a library and you know that um, a centre half in, in a MK Don's team produces on average this, these, these sort of metrics in a game and you've got that comparison. But then, as I said, you can't always then, when you're recruiting, you can't get these well yeah. in advance. You know, you, you just have a look at them when you can really. The data is fascinating because as maybe a lot of people watching, listening to this, we sat at home and we're all guilty of it, sat there screaming at the telly saying, try harder, run faster, get back, do this. But when you delve into the data and the science of it, mm. they may or may not be told to... That's why they're at home and not on the field. <laughs> yeah, correct. But we've all done it, right? Yeah, yeah, well, yeah, we've yeah. all done it. And That's we why all we love the sport. Yeah. Correct, yeah. And we will all continue to do it. But yeah, that data is fascinating. To, to, is there a crossover here between so your team as the medical and scientific professionals and the football coaching stroke tactical management side? No, oh, yeah, massively. Yeah, we know we, we you know we're an interdisciplinary team, so we all we've all got an idea of of you know we've all got our own lanes almost, but it's the ability to cross over. Yeah. So you know, there's there's like lots that. of examples that that happen in in day to day. Really, you know, we might have a. Um, you know, let's use the centre half again. Who, you know, the, the coaching team may feel he's, you know, not getting above the players enough on on set pieces, and he's able to jump higher. So we may we may do some testing on him, and actually, well, he's he's, tested, he's, he's got the capacity, and he's just as good as other players when it comes to jumping. So what is it? Is it game understanding? Is it the technique and how he's jumping? It'll just give a bit more focus. Is this something that our sports science and medicine staff need to focus on something our coaching staff need to focus on yeah. is it something they all need to focus on yeah do the players also no go on go on do the players will they will they in in your experience of being here will they come to you and say simon i want to work on this part of my game right since 2009 sorry but the metrics what's it set up what do i need to improve on mm. so again we use that crossover into business of some self-development self-development yeah going above come, and beyond yeah do they come to you and go right Something what do I need? Yeah. How do I yeah. win more headers? What do I need to I, do differently? Yeah. So what they've got the training, but do I need to go and do an extra half an hour here or half an hour there to be able to deliver yeah. that? So I think this is this is something that's really evolved probably in the last sort of four or five years. Yeah. And 
probably since through, through our academies in the EPPP program, where players now at academy level all have their individual development plans, go through a sort of PDR process that yeah, you might have yeah. in the business world. And, you know, using not just physical data, but also using, you know, we've got a fantastic data scientist in RAM who, you know, produces all the all the data you can imagine on the football pitch. And it's about marring all that up together. Um, and then, you know, producing a, an IDP, you know, an individual development plan that focuses on, on the areas that they need to improve on. And that has always really probably previously been like manager led or coaching led and and some managers have always have been really into that process others have not so much mm. but now as time's gone on you know we, we all own it you know particularly the, the, the players at the center of it but every single department across the football club owns it um it's something that you know we're looking at our methods and how we do that internally at the moment and how we can improve that uh the academy you know are doing it really well at the moment under, under you know the leadership of ben smith uh our academy manager and it's I think getting the players, you know, you're talking about when you had a, a Neil Ruddicon, you know, and how, how we've changed, you know, it's it's getting the players to buy into it. And, it, and because they're doing it in early age now, it's, it's yeah, much easier. Yeah. You know, an example of that is when I first started out and we knew the benefits of um, whole body cryotherapy, whole body water immersion, um, and, you know, when the science around that started coming out, I'd have to get players in a headlock to get them in an ice bath. Yeah. But now they're complaining it's about holding yeah, every, Everybody's yeah. doing it. It's how the game changes. Yeah. One thing we 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 did a podcast the other week with a chap called Roy Sutherland it says we're we're driven by data. Oh, marketing guy. Yeah, 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 yeah. Fascinating. Driven by data. I'm obsessed with data. We've done this. We did this, and working everything out. But the crossover in business. So data in football is the immersion of AI in business. In 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 my opinion, how do you combat the raw talent of a young footballer to the data that's coming through? that you've got somebody um, who's a chap that was at QPR years ago, Ravel Morrison. Mm. Everybody talks about how talented he was. Or more recently, Sancho. Yeah, or more recently, Sancho, yeah, who's just found his form when he's ended up back in Germany, which is remarkable. But how, how do you balance that? Talent against yeah. data. So, is it a challenge? Yeah, massively, massively. And, and you know, this is, this is an area of research that I'm currently looking at. And, you know, in football, we are very data-driven. Yeah, but one of the things, and it's not just football, it's, you know, it's lots of sports that there's very limited knowledge about is the qualitative side of it, about the footballer themselves. Yeah. Um, you know, we talk about having a high-performance environment. And so what's a high-performing environment? Well, we need to do this, this, and this. But what do the players think about that? And, you know, there's, there's not really any good qualitative evidence at the moment that's looking into that. Um, you know, we, th there is some evidence, for example, you take injury prevention and there's some, there's some research that's looked at injury prevention and it looks at well players know that they're at risk of injury they accept there's a risk of injury they, ex they understand the consequences of injury yet they're not fully compliant with injury uh, reduction programs okay. injury prevention yeah. programs why it's really interesting and and i think the other variable to throw into that as well is is players backgrounds uh, so it's without going too education. deep but no well i, I was you imagine play uh, as you go and sign a player but he's come from Devon, or he's come from Blackpool. You know, Blackpool to Milton Keynes. You're not commuting that every day. You've no. you've got you're to leave. Yeah, so you're either away from your family, and then you think that what are the what are the impacts on that? And this is something go back to the armchair fan. The yeah. football fans don't appreciate one bit. They see, they see the players playing on the pitch, but it's actually what else goes on behind that in terms of data, oh, yeah. etc., yeah. and the other the other variables that make that can make the difference because it comes back to those adjustments. And this is why football and business is so, or sport and business, because it, it's so similar. 
data driven, yes, but also results driven. Yeah. Because it's this, it's the same in the boardroom. If the results aren't there on the balance sheet, changes you've got to make just just like yeah. what it is on on the football field. Yeah. yeah, I think you're seeing that passion come through. That I don't know if we can talk about Northampton. Yeah, we can talk about Northampton Saints. We can't talk about Northampton Football Club, but what? Northampton Saints. You look at their social media at the moment and how high that team is. You talk about high performance. That team go out there and they they feel that they're going to win at the moment. They come back into that change room. They sing as a team and you put all of that together. <laughs> you put all of that together and now it's not only it's a high performance, it's the camaraderie of the team, but you've got that all of that built in there and then you have the data. Behind. So you you and your team, you're very much part of the match day exp- um team and squad etc no no not anymore I used to be okay yeah so we've got sort of we've got Adam Ross now who's our head of rehabilitation who sort of manages the sports science and medicine department similar to my old role uh, my role now is is sort of changed in the fact that I still oversee sports science and medicine but I've also taken other departments that we sort of call really our performance departments anything that we feel you know is, that leads towards performance on the pitch um, so the grounds team for example um, you know between Liam and I we look over our academy and um, you know, obviously Ben Smith is the manager there, as I said, but Liam and I will manage it from a sort of a leadership and, and budget point of view. Um, day-to-day operations, kits and cleaning, all those sort of things. Lots of different... the right environment. Yeah, yeah. lots so of different, different um, hats that you're having to wear under that role. So do, yeah. do you get Saturdays off then, so to speak? Well, no, I still go to the games. So we're at the games. Home and away. Home and away, yeah. yeah. So we're you know, on the motorway a lot. Um the bonus now is I don't need to travel the night before if it's no way game, so I get to you know spend that at home with, with the family on a on a Friday evening. Um, although I might go overnight for Barrow because I'm, sure <laughs> <doing that. laughs> I'm not sure I fancy doing that one. But. So, so out of your your in your 18th season now, is there one or what what would be the one success story that you that really stands out for you where you can say, I don't know, it might have been a player that. Had a, a real couple of bad back-to-back injuries, and you worked with him, and he done went above and beyond, and you brought him back to full fitness, or a, I don't know, a piece of data exercise that led to something. What yeah. would be the one sort of standout moment yeah, for I you? Mean, oh, I know I've put you on the yeah, spot there, mate. Difficult question. I mean, there's, there's without mentioning any names, there's probably course, yeah. some, um, some you know, some footballers who had significant injuries at previous clubs and you know we you know, they found their way at our level but were much better than this level but because of their their injuries or you know whatever had happened it, it ended up at this level and we sort of were able to get you know the most out of them on the playing field um complicated injury presentations that we've seen that have been you know frustrating for everybody and um you know I remember one where we got one player back and he'd been out for about nine months and he scored on the first game back and we celebrated on the side of the pitch. Oh, brilliant. So I think, you know, things like that always stick in memory. But then, of course, you know, it's it's the collective um, effort when you get promoted and, yeah. you know, getting promoted to the championship because that group of staff at that time, we'd, I think that was our fifth year working together and we got real continuity with the manager, with the staff. And so it, it was like a real sort of, team effort and you really felt part of something then yeah. and you know of course we've had other successes but I think just that particular yeah. year the championship year because of course we came straight back down but just the build up to that and, and the way it happened it was probably you know, my fondest my fondest sort of memory at the club and in terms of um, I mean look you, we're just outside the, I know when that I said not to date stamp it so I'm going to kick myself here but we're near we, the beginning of the of 2024 yeah so we're in um in and around the playoffs, playoffs just under underneath at the moment. 
but in terms of your team and the, the the physio and the medical science and the performance department that we've got here at MK Dons, that's got to be on par with a championship team. Yeah, look, when we... Other League Two and even League One clubs don't have the infrastructure and the setup than what we've got here, we've, do they? Yeah, we, we like to think we've got good facilities and we've got excellent staff. And, you know, you, you spoke about me being here a long time, but Adam Ross, who, you know, is one of the big, big unsung heroes downstairs, he's been here for 16 years and worked, you know, very close with me during that time. And Tom Bromley, we mentioned before, you know, he's been here sort of about 11, 12 years now. Um, so we've got some real good continuity in the department, which means you know it's the same in business. If and I always I always use business to this because if you know if any business wants to succeed, but they keep changing the sort of their leadership model every six months to a year, now you're asking for trouble, aren't you? And yep. that's what football always does. So I think you know us having the new model that we have with Liam and, and myself, and then you know the continuity we've got in the departments now. It really helps with that, gives us that consistency. So a head coach can come in, and of course we know it's football. We're going to it's have different changes, that's already there, isn't it? but yeah. yeah, we. So I think yeah, it's it's yeah, it's uh, it's it's, it's exciting, and you know, I think we you know, let's see, let's see where we go. So um, if you, oh, sorry, <coughs> no, go on, mate. If you look at the um, the change in football in eighteen years on the on the um, physical side or the physio side, what does the game need to do to improve on the next level? So looking at the next ten years, what do we need to do? Because I use an example, not so much in the men's game, but if you look at the the, the women's game, the amount of ACL mm. injuries that mm. keep happening. And again, this the science will lead us to why that's happening in a few years, mm. but is there something that you'd like to see available for the players? Or is there something that could uh, make the, the, the data better for you? Yeah, look, I think it's you know it's some really interesting things that are happening in, in terms of sort of the way the, the, the game the game's running from a, a real point of view with the head injuries and yeah. head injury mm -hmm. substitutions. I think that's going to be really, really important and, you know, will hopefully be one of those things that you might not realise the importance of at the time, but certainly in the future you will do. Yeah. Um, look, there's, we're, we're on the cusp of, of probably, you know, going all down this AI route. Um, there's already, you know, you know, there's already happening. There's already teams using AI. There's already software out there you can produce, but there's just so many variables, and we just don't understand them all yet. And you know, it's as I say, it's an avenue I'm looking at. It's the variables in and around the player. There's stuff you can't measure. Um, so I think we need to really see a lot more in that, in sort of qualitative research and ins insights, looking into you know what the players' perceptions are of of the performance environment of performing. Um, and on the psychology side as well, I mean, yeah. you know, psychologists are, are commonplace in in, in in the big clubs, uh, not so much down the lower leagues. But you know, I think we need to really support our players in the modern day. You know, it's not just football; it's it's across society, isn't it? With mental health and that side. <laughs> Correct. Of yeah, yeah. I was just, I was just going to go on to that. If you look at the the mental side, that again, these players are given their all twice a week training, mm. putting everything into it and it only takes an injury, being away from their family, negative mm. um, comments or um, responses from fans, mm. media, etc. That that needs to be there. Yeah. Ben, Ben's been quoted a number of times, mental health was the pandemic before the pandemic mm. began. And I mean, it's sad that we have to explain to people how important it is, but yeah, you are. You're, you've you've nailed that one hundred percent. And hopefully, with AI, VAR might actually work. <laughs> yeah, well. yeah. I think you know the, 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 the mental health thing. I mean, when I first started in my career, if a player had a, a bad game, 
he would get, you know, it was Facebook was about 2007, I think. And so yeah. it was, you know, it was on the cusp of Facebook when I started. But if you had a bad game, you might get a, a you know, so, someone in MK News or The Citizen would give him a four or five out of 10 yeah. rating, uh, you know, and that would be about it. It might be something on an online forum that they're in the infancy. But now, if you had a bad game, you know, you get, you know, not everybody, but there's the potential <coughs> to get abused yeah. and yeah. your family's to get abused and, and, and there's just no escaping from it. It's mm. the same, with, you know. It's the same, you know. I I, I see it first time with with my children, it, and you know, there's just no escape from it, is there? You know, if from, from, from you know, at the, the, the children's level, you have an you have an argument at school, it, it ends at school, and it's forgotten about the next day. But you know, it can continue, and, and that's the same in every, every you know every walk of life, I guess. On the football side, you have to question when it became acceptable that you can lit rip into somebody it's not even about the, oh, the football did you watch the um delhi interview that you did with Gary yes. Neville? Yeah, yeah. so yeah. i've never met delhi I'm, I'm i'm a liverpool fan so and i've never been in his company before but i i see and appreciate him as a wonderful footballer just like everybody else does i, I cried watching that mm. i felt so incredibly sad for him and they'd taken or what he'd gone through and the journey he'd gone through to listen like just to listen to I mean, thankfully, it looks like he's in a much better place now. But he just looked so sad and, and empty. And yet you look back at his goal against Crystal Palace, where he's done the our folly over and then volleyed it in from 25 yards. And some of the goals that he scored here. And I remember we, we did an interview with Carl Robinson. And Carl Robinson rang Brendan Rodgers. No, um, rang Brendan Rodgers, I think, or somebody connected to at Liverpool and said, you got to buy him before we went to Spurs mm. and um, and we, we didn't and you'd, you'd sometimes there are those sliding doors moments where you think I wonder if something had happened or had gone to another club or I'm not I'm just saying that because my connection is Liverpool but anybody or mm. another another um, coach or another manager had just got hold of them like they say about Fergie with Gaza yeah you know, would would Gazza have ended up at the journey that he did and and I just think we and but I really really hope um, that that lad can come back and and mate, and you know, go and play Premier League football. Yeah, definitely. And I think Sean Dyche has done. A, he's he's doing a great job in supporting him, and and he's been, Delhi's been quite vocal. But when Delhi's gone through that, there will be hundreds, if not thousands, of other footballers that have that have gone through something similar. Yeah, and, and it's you know going back to all the metrics and everything, and we're in a, we're in, a, in this multivariate environment, and you know your performance is judged on you hit the you hit the crossbar. You didn't score the goal, but you could have you could have been a nine out of ten, a ten out of ten all game. But because you hit that crossbar, you're then you're the reason the team didn't win. Mm. Um, and you know that's horrible, isn't it? And you know I, I you know got to Delhi, and I think obviously I worked with Delhi for you know New Delhi growing up, and I worked with him for a long time, and absolutely amazing guy. Um, but you just, I mean, it's not for me to say, but Delhi and other footballers, if they'd had that support, maybe earlier on in their careers. You know, would, would it have benefited them? Probably. <clears throat> yeah, it's, it's having that support, not only to play, because they are humans at the end of the day as well, and yeah. they need to be looked after. So we're, um, we're going to come to a, a... But before we do... We, we, Are you asking a question? Yes, I am. Good. We always like to ask our guests this. Um, so Saturday night, dinner party, three people, past or present, who, who are you having around the table? Well, I've got to I've got to go with my wife and my two daughters. I think that's, oh, the, well. that's the safest. But but in in, in general, it's no, just it in case it, Friday night. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Saturday, Saturday night. You've got the table again. Yeah, oh, I don't know. I don't know. I'd, 
Heroes, aspirations, yeah, somebody that's um, taken you, taken you a miss. Yeah, I think I would, you know, I'd probably be interested. You know, you've got all the obvious ones like religious leaders, historical figures, um, but I'd be interesting to, you know, to have some of the greats of football management. Um, mm. You know, Alex Ferguson, so Alex Ferguson, for example, uh, Arsene Wenger, just to get their get their thoughts on how they, you know what was success to them? How yeah. did they set up their environment? Why did they feel they were so successful? Because there's so much learnings there to be, you know, to be had. We've got a lot to be thankful to Arsene Wenger for, really. Because he, he almost pushed the Premier League probably three or four years ahead of its time mm. in, in terms of when he came to Arsenal and what, how he implemented stuff. Yeah. Sorry, yeah, go on. Yeah, from, yeah, from a, exactly that, from a sports science view, point of view. And it's, you know, they were, they were mavericks of the time. And I think, you know, that those sort of people, it'd be, you know, really interesting to, to find out, to learn from them and find out what they did, yeah. Yeah, well, we'll come back to you on the, uh, on the third one, but... Uh, well, it'd probably be, well, it'd be a weird combination, but it'd have to be somebody like uh, Kurt Cobain, um, you know, it's a, a rock star of, of yeah, some description, yeah. so... Yeah. Yeah, I could imagine Sir Alex loving that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Turn it down and, um, and you do it straight away. I've really enjoyed this. Yeah, really insightful. Um, thank you for so much. Thank you. Um, really grateful for you taking the time. Uh, brilliant. Thank no you. Problem. Best Thank luck. you very much. Cheers. Thank you.